Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning. Welcome to Genesis. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks again for you guys watching online. Uh, Let's pause. We're going to pray and we're going to get started again. It's good to have Randy back with us and his family feeling healthy. Hope you guys are doing well, feeling healthy as well. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for once again an opportunity to gather together. And I pray that as we do, We would encourage one another, be encouraged by one another, and grow, Father, in our relationship with you, with our relationship with one another, and in the community that we live in. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord. May you be honored in the things done and said, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Really, the only uh, couple of announcements that we have... uh, the ladies, are the ladies meeting Thursday, Randy? Do you know? Are they going to be able to get together this? I think so. Okay. I know they hadn't because, uh, you know, Brie was sick for a while, but I think the ladies are going to be meeting again Thursday. I'm sure it's a small group. They'll they contact each other. Yeah. I remember, yeah, Corrine was in the room on Zoom talking to them. So um, that's still happening. We are no longer going to be having the art for artists and the philosophy and critical thinking or the full circle. Uh, Jordan is taking a step back from doing things. And so, unfortunately, that's going to be uh, part of what happens when he's taking a step back. So I know some of us were used to going to those things. Unfortunately, it's not going to be happening anymore. But I know things still can be happening. If you've got something in mind that you'd like to do, let us know. Okay, we've got opportunities for you guys to step into with the space, and so let us know if you are interested in doing something. If you had an idea you wanted to uh, put into fruition, uh, talk to us, and let's see what we can do to help you to achieve that. Um, Also, to let you know, Genesis exists because of you and your offering to uh, the work of Genesis. And so there are online the ways you can give. If you go to thegenesisstory.com, it can show you and direct you to those things. And we are grateful again for all of you who have been faithful in giving uh, throughout the years. It is very much appreciated. So today I'm going to be starting a series on the book of Genesis. I'm thinking it's going to be about 11 weeks, which is pretty good considering it's 50 chapters, okay? Be thankful. Um, (laughs) Please don't go for 100 weeks. Um, And I hope through this series to reel us in to an understanding of the Hebrew texts 
as it was written to the people who it was written to and the time it was written, without a doubt and without question, Genesis is an ancient text, right? It was written a long time ago, and that seems obvious, but it is so significant, and it's going to be something that I repeat over and over again because it helps us to remember the time it was written in, the people it was written to, to understand what is trying to be communicated to. It is hard for us to not see things through the lens of our culture and our time and even the things that we've been taught. Some things are just hard to let go, and I'm going to touch on just one of those things because today I'm really just kind of doing an introduction about the book of Genesis, we have to connect to some, in some way, even though it's impossible, we can start stepping in that direction to the people and how they lived at that time. Imagine living at a time when there was no morphine for pain. There was no medical technology like we have today. And I don't care what kind of environmentalist you may be. If you drive a Prius and use paper instead of plastic and don't use straws, you will still not come anywhere close to people who lived in tents, okay, who could not drive anywhere because there were no cars there was no electricity, there was no running water, there was no air conditioning. How did people survive? No Wi-Fi. No. <laughs> it is a totally different world. And they are connected to the earth and to one another in a totally different way that I think has a lot to teach us but we have to have that understanding. Now, Genesis, the book, is a story. It's a story with characters. It's a story with events. It's a story with successes and failures. And it's important for us to, to remember that because some of us have grown up thinking that Genesis is a historical account. And even though it's a story, there can be historical events in the story, but it is not written to be a historical account of events. It has those elements in it, but it is not that exclusively. It's not a textbook about history, about science, or anything else. And high school Sam is very thankful for that, right? Because I did not like the textbooks kind of thing. It's a story. Some people think that it's a book about principles. And again, a story can have principles in it, but it's not a book just giving out principles. Can you imagine watching a movie or reading a book of a story and every you know, few lines you have to stop and say, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to me? How does this, you would ruin the context of the story. Maybe you've been in the movies with someone or watching a, a video at home with someone. They keep saying, what are they talking about? And you have to pause it and say, well, because remember last 
scene when the son did this. They're talking about that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And you pray, well, why did they do that? Okay, because remember, you know, and it's like aggravating. Like, can we just go on with the story so we can see what it's about? I see people are identifying with this, right? It's so that we can have the continuity of this story that helps us become part of it and get some principal understandings that are there. But it's not a book about history. It's not a book about principles. The best stories shape our lives precisely because as we read them, as we watch them, we are presented with both reality and possibility, and we start connecting to elements of that story that resonate with my story. And so as we go through the book of Genesis, those things are going to happen. And as we start seeing how they took place in their lives, we're going to be able to be drawn into that story that is going to provoke our imagination and I hope illuminate us into some powerful thoughts. It's also important to remember that Genesis is the first of a five-part series that the book of Genesis was never meant to stand alone. It is part of what we call the Pentateuch, which means five scrolls, right? We've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are all meant to be together. Now, the Jewish people, they call it the Torah. The word Torah means the law or instruction. And there's a reason that they name it that. Just like a title gives you insight into what a book is about or a movie, right? If the movie's name is Jaws, you know something's up. You know what it's going to be about somewhat. And so having this title for these five books, the Torah, the law, the instruction is giving us insight into what is happening and what's happening. More than half of these five books are centered around what happens to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai when they are given the law. Think about that. Over half of these five books is taken up with this single event. Everything before it is leading to this and everything after is reflecting to it. This is a cornerstone in the Pentateuch. In other words, the story of Israel finds its climax at Sinai because there they found out, one, who they were as God's people, and two, how to maintain a life giving relationship with God in the land that God has promised them. So if we're going to read Genesis as the ancient Israelites would have, We have to read it as a story that propels us to the dramatic events that show up at Mount Sinai. We will find in Genesis some of the same themes that we found at Mount Sinai, and again and again, they will show up over and over again. We will have to see where this story is headed to get an understanding of why it was being said just like you would in any movie. There's always setting the stage, right? I mean, think of the movie Up. If you don't see the opening scene that moves you to tears almost every time, right? 
you don't know what the movie's about. All of a sudden, there's this old crotchety guy in a house with balloons, and you don't know the whole purpose of the story. The same thing is happening here. There is a foundation we are setting in Genesis that is taking us someplace. The heart of the story is going to be the idea of what's happening in the law. And the events at Mount Sinai really are about God establishing something. The message from the Pentateuch would be this. If you were to say, okay, here's a single kind of frame of thought, it would be, hear, O Israel, or listen up. Yahweh is the creator of the cosmos. He's also redeemed you from Egypt and promised you the land of Canaan as a home. You are his people, and he alone is your God, worthy of your complete devotion. That's what these five books are pushing. This is where the story is going and why what happened at Sinai is so central. It is a reminder to Israel that Yahweh and no other God is to be worshiped. And worshiping gods at that time was like picking a restaurant you wanted to go to. There were just a plenty, right? I could go to Taco Bell, I could go to Jim's, I could go to Del Taco if I don't like Taco Bell, I could go to In-N-Out if I don't like Jim's, there's also Burger King. I don't go there. But all these options were there, and that was happening too at this time. Worshiping other gods was common. But in the midst of all this choice between gods, the Pentateuch reminds Israelites that they were to remain loyal to one God, that Yahweh alone was worthy of their worship. And why? Why is this the case? One is that he is the creator of the world. That's where we're starting at Genesis. Two, he is the savior of Israel. And these two themes are constantly being pushed in different ways. So where does Genesis come from? Genesis sets the stage by focusing on number one, the creator of the world, and then hinting at number two, the savior of Israel. The rest of the books, the Pentateuch, focus on the second part, the savior of Israel, the exodus from Egypt, and keep pointing back to number one, the creator of the world. And so we've got the creator of the world who's the savior of Israel, the savior of the world. Don't forget he was the creator of the world. And this is gonna be continually being presented to the people. Once you get outside of the Pentateuch, much of the Old Testament still centers on those two themes. And usually it shows up in how Israel didn't do them well, right? How they forgot them. Genesis introduces us to God as the creator and gives us previews of God as savior. And actually we'll see that creating and saving are two sides of the same coin, that they go together. So, If we're not going to read and understand this story properly, or if we're going to read and understand it properly, we're going to need to remind ourselves of these two things. And remember that it was written in a very different world than our own, and we have to try and read it through ancient eyes. Now, why is it so important to understand when something is written? How many of you have read Orwell's Animal Farm? Wasn't that a staple of in 
see how far this analogy goes. <laughs> if you don't know when that book was written, you'll have a hard time understanding the characters. It'll seem like a pretty dark children's book <laughs> where animals are talking. But if you know that it was written in 1945 and is really an allegory about Stalin and communism, then it won't make any sense if you don't have that understanding. So when it was written gives us the context and frames it so that we can better understand it. Otherwise, we really do lose its meaning. And so when was Genesis written? It, this is one of the difficult things because there's no title page, right? It's anonymous. There is no author saying this is it. There, there is no, you know... Uh, what a dedication page. To my son Israel, I write this, right? There, there is none of those things in the book telling us when it was written or who wrote it. Now, oftentimes we think, because in our tradition, my tradition, Moses wrote the book of Genesis and the five books, but there are some problems with that. One, because it gets real creepy in the fact that Moses dies in Deuteronomy 34, so how does he write a book if he's dead, right? Because that can't happen. But also the writer starts to mention things like even in that chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, it says that to this day, we still don't know where Moses was buried. So it seems to indicate that it was written sometime after and they still don't know where that was. So it seems like the author is removed from this by some period of time. And then it says that, and that since Moses' day, no one has ever arisen like him. Again, this is kind of like the good old days back when we had Moses. Things were really happening. It seems removed from the event itself. It sounds like it was written by someone a long time after Moses looking back. It also talks about Moses being the man who is the most humble man there was. That, that just seems, would, would uh, the most humble man write that in his you know, record? By the way, Moses was the most humble man, and that's me, you know? And, and it's talking in the third person. I mean, that again seems weird. No one talks in the third person, except maybe NBA players sometimes, you know? And, and so we don't know the author, but it reads like a story about the distant past with Moses and other characters spoken of in that third person. A story about Adam, about Noah, about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses, and the Israelites who left Egypt and went to Mount Sinai. One place, or a few places, again, it, it talks about things in that distant way. So who did write it and when was it written? What time did they live in? And this is where it's kind of fun because there had to be some detective work to answer that, right? Which led a lot of scholars to agree that the Pentateuch as we know it didn't come together until sometime after 539 BCE, which is about 700 to 1,000 years after the time of Moses. 
Now, some people are going to balk at that. No, Moses wrote it, and they want to hold to this singularity of authorship to those things, but there's some problems when you try to do it. And it's significant that we see when it was written because it gives us some reasons maybe of why it was written. You see, there was a significant event that took place in 539 BCE. It was significant for the Jews. It's when the Persian king Cyrus defeated the Babylonians and released the Israelites who had been captives for Babylon for about 50 years. And so then at this time, when they are able to go back to their nation and start to develop themselves as people again, we start to see these writings show up. Now, these writings didn't come from scratch. It wasn't just like, hey, you know what, let's write something. These writings were compiled by probably a lot of different writings from oral traditions that have been passed down from hundreds of hundreds of years. They were put together and assembled, and there is a reason they did it, so that when they returned to their homeland, it would bring them together, and it seemed to excel at this point. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit. So what evidence is there for this, right? Well, that sounds great, but what evidence? For example, in the Abraham story in Genesis 12, 6, and in 13, 7, we read that the Canaanites were living in the land then, or at that time, depending on the translation. If the Canaanites were living in the land then, or at that time, it makes sense that the writer is writing at a time when they were not living in that land. And that would happen about the time of King David and Solomon's reign, when the final Canaanite element was kind of driven out. And so that would be somewhere about 1000 BCE. And so clues like that tell us something's going on. They're writing about these things in a distant way. Or in Genesis 36, we read a list of the kings of Edom. And it says, the writer introduces them this way, right? These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. The writer says before any kings reigned, that means he's writing from a time, it seems, when kings did reign. Why would he be talking about kings that reigned when that wasn't even a thought in their mind? And so it looks like they're talking about a time when kings are now reigning and we're looking back to when that didn't happen, but we're writing these stories now. Writing Israel's story probably around the time of King David started taking place, but then it really accelerated when they were exiled into Babylon around the 6th century BCE, where they no longer have a king, where they no longer have a temple, where they no longer have their land. And they have to find out who are we without these things. Our children, how will they remember the history and our traditions? We've been removed. We're now living in Babylon. And our children are going to forget the things that were sacred to us. They're going to get Harley Davidson tattoos and listen to heavy metal music. They're going to forget the traditions that we have. It's going to be gone. And so how can we preserve it? How can we do something that keeps it? 
And they began telling their story one last time that has become what we call the Old Testament. Think of the Old Testament as Israel's story written in light of national trauma in order to encourage continued faithfulness to God. The Pentateuch is like Israel's constitution. This is who we are. This is where we came from. This is what we believe. And most importantly, this is what our God is like. He is faithful to us in spite of how we screwed up. But he commands us to be faithful. Let's remember that so we don't get exiled again. It is partly written as a theological response to Babylonian captivity. It's like their declaration of independence. Imagine 500 years or 1,000 years from now, someone uncovering our declaration of independence without recognizing the time and climate that it was written, not understanding that it was trying to leave the oppression of the British. Sorry to all my British friends. It, it wouldn't make any sense. What are they talking about, life, liberty? What, what, are, what liberty are you talking about? If it's not in this context, it loses its meaning. Genesis is not, only, not only begins the story of Israel, it should be read in the conversation with the rest of the story, but it is also the story that is told through the eyes of an ancient people in national crisis trying to hold on to an identity. So the book does not stand by itself. It is having a trajectory leading to Sinai, leading after that remembering Sinai. And it's important because we're going to see these things come up over and over again. You know, if we're looking down at the book kind of from, you know, 30,000 feet, looking down at Genesis, we've established that it's an ancient story, first of a five-part series, where we're headed. What are we going to? Now, we know there's 50 chapters, and immediately we have to put on the brakes and say, okay, even that is a modern input. They didn't have chapters. Some Christian monks put them in so that we could refer to things. Thank you, Christian monks. We're glad that you did. Otherwise, we'd really have to memorize a lot of stuff. But they did have breaks. Originally, without chapters, the Jews divided the book in sections that start with a phrase, something like, these are the descendants of, or these are the generations of. And that occurs 10 times throughout the book. And it makes sense if we remember that Genesis is beginning, the beginning of Israel's story and is moving us towards Jacob, whose name will later be changed to Israel. So we start with the names here, the names here, the names here, and end with this person whose name is Israel. It's pointing us in that direction, who then has the 12 sons, the patriarchs, the 12 tribes. We'll need to keep this 10 sections in mind as we move forward. They're going to help us remember where the story is going. And so a quick breakdown. Part one would be chapters 1 through 11, the story of creation, Adam and Eve, the slaying of their son Abel to the older brother Cain, Noah, the ark, 
the Tower of Babel. Throughout is a family tree and a list of nations after the flood. These are probably the most controversial and the most misunderstood in the book, which is a shame because they set up some important thoughts. Later on, the chapter set up for chapters 12 through 50, where we see Abraham, a man who originally was named Abram, who was chosen by God, we, we don't know why, to leave home and travel to Canaan with his wife, Sarah, whose original name was Sarai. Abraham was promised two things, children and land. In chapters 12 through 50 is the roller coaster soap opera of how that plans out. Will God come through even if Israel keeps behaving badly? How is God going to handle this? We see Jacob who becomes Israel after Abraham and Isaac were introduced to him. He's Abe's grandson, right? The story is filled with deceit, plots to murder, looking for love and finding that the promise is found in this unlikely son. God changes his name to Israel, which begins the story to focus Genesis' story. Then we go to Joseph and Egypt. The last third of Genesis turns to this story, who is thrown into a well by his brothers, and after some time, some edge-on-the-seat family drama take place right there, It ends with Jacob's death and all 12 sons and their families in Egypt, which is the perfect setup for the sequel, which we find in the Exodus story. Again, this is a very quick, brief overview. And to help us see that we're going to have to change a lot of maybe what we've learned, I just want to kind of give a peek behind the curtain to how our present way of seeing things has influenced what we read. Just in the creation story, in Genesis 1.1, we read, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Genesis does not begin with God creating something from nothing as many of us have come to believe and understand. It actually says that God was brooding over the surface of the deep, which we understand later to be the waters. That God created everything from the water. And you say, Sam, you're pulling that out of context. That's too much. Turn to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 5. Peter writes, but they deliberately forgot that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. I don't know about you, but I'd miss that one. Why? Because Genesis is not trying to tell the story of how creation started. Genesis is trying to tell the story of how the nation of Israel became who they are. Water is a representation of chaos, the deep, this darkness, and how God brought order into that. And so 
in this story, the point is not to explain all of creation as we understand it, but to understand that God who created everything from this chaotic place of water brought out this nation. And so immediately we're confronted with maybe our concept of what this says and what's actually being said so that we have to step back and say, what else am I not reading? What else am I not seeing? What else is there that I am missing and why water? What does that have to do with this? What, what about this whole idea of God creating from nothing? Because there's some places in Colossians and Hebrews that have more of a Greek influence that talk about that. But Peter and his Jewish influence goes back to this verse and brings out the fact that the earth was formed out of water and by water as God spoke. I think that's amazing. I, I think this is intriguing. This is that that first episode of the series that pulls you in, right? It makes you wonder, don't you just hate that? I just went through a series, um, Severance. I don't know if you guys are watching that. And it's like every, it ends just pulling you to the next. I watched like five of them, right? I'm like three in the morning. I gotta get up, I gotta get up, right? And it's just pulling you and it immediately pulls me into what's this story about? What is going to happen? What is the journey we are going to participate in with, as much as possible, the people of this time? And that's what I hope to do throughout the next 10 weeks or so, is go on that journey and try to find out what were they saying? What am I having to maybe hear differently, think differently, learn, experience from these people who were so connected to each other, to the world, and to God in ways that I maybe failed. And what can I learn from that? And I hope we'll learn it together. Let's pray. Lord, I hope we are intrigued, and I hope that we can step into an understanding of this book that brings us back to, at least in some way, what those who read it were feeling, experiencing, wanting to convey. And and even as that story is being told, be pulled into it to, to bring about understanding of how that does resonate with us. Where do we find ourselves in these stories? What stands out to us that we can learn and grow and, and apply? Lord, help us not to miss the points because we are focusing on the wrong things. We are pointing in the wrong direction. Help us not lose sight of what is being conveyed because of our prejudice over time and over learning. Pray that you would help me to convey these things well. And I thank you again for this opportunity to do so, Lord. We do desire to learn. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. May we be willing to see the story that has been told and learn to live in the story that is before us. 
with a recognition of the God who loves us. God bless you guys. Thank you for being here. Hope to see you next week for chapter one. All right, read ahead. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.